We have a real treat tonight on our show. Up next is two-time World Series champion and childhood idol of mine and Ruvain's, Howard Johnson. Hojo joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful, and we are delighted and honored to have on our show uh, Howard Johnson, Hojo, no other way to say it. Uh, Howard Johnson played uh, 14 seasons with the Tigers, Mets, Rockies, and Cubs from 82 to 95, two times World Series winner. Uh, two-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger. Welcome to the show, Hojo. How are you? Very good, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm doing very well. Thanks. Oh, pleasure to have you. Uh, career, this is the Fangraph show, so I have to say a career 23.5 war, including a seven-war season in 1989. Amazing. Uh, you, you, you were wow. fantastic that year and had an amazing career. 228 homers, 231 stolen bases, three-time member of the 30-30 club. Unbelievable. Wow. i tell you what, uh, my body feels it nowadays. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Actually, I... I just this is the way I played, you know. I just tried to play hard on every every game, every inning. Didn't want to take uh, take anything for granted. Nothing. Don't take any days off if I can help it, uh, and try to stay healthy. So it's it's kind of a jumble, but you just do the best you can and just go until your your body says no more. Right. What what are you up to these days? Uh, life after baseball. Well, I've been uh, I've been coaching. Um, professionally the last few years but uh the last obviously the last last year we did not because of covid and this year i i opted out of going to mexico so i i stayed home my son and i own a big facility down in nashville here in franklin tennessee showtime sports academy and um we run that place full-time we own it and glenn runs it and my son glenn he runs that thing full-time we just got done with a big camp big all-star break camp uh, that ended today and straw was actually at the, uh, camp today. So it was really cool for the kids. Oh, wow. Wow. That sounds, that sounds great. And speaking of strawberry, um, you played with him together for a number of years with the Mets. What do you think your breakthrough moment or the highlight of your career would be either with the Mets or with any other team? From a personal standpoint? Yes. Oh, I would have to say the 87 season being how we were coming off the World Series and they let Ray Knight go to free agency. And I think he ended up going to Baltimore. Um, So 87, it was the year that uh, it was my job to lose right out of spring training. And so I prepared all, all winter for that opportunity. And so when it finally did come, I was ready. And I, I responded, and I had a really good season that year and broke some records and uh, shocked some people along the way. Um, and it just kind of set, set the tone for what I thought I could be as a player. And um, that's kind of, that's of for me, my breakout, my breakthrough season was 87. Well, you happened to be on deck when Mookie Wilson had his 
infamous or famous, depending on oh, if you're yes. a Mets fan or not, um, at bat. Would he have beaten Bill Buckner to first base from your vantage point? Do you think he would have beaten him there if Bill Buckner fielded it cleanly? Yes, I do. I believe so. I think he would have. I think he would have beat it because Mookie gets out of the box probably better than anybody I've ever seen, and he just has this way of getting down the line that just keeps picking up speed so fast. And I just thought he would have beaten Stanley to the bag, and at that point it would have been. Uh, Hojo up with the bases loaded, <laughs> <laughs> which have been which have been which have been fun to see. Uh, yeah. Yes, yes, we're, we are glad on the outcome though that Mookie got it done. Of course, you know. Oh heck yeah, hundred <laughs> um, percent. It, it was it's a lot more famous that way. Yes, yes, memorable, yes. memorable, memorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this next question comes from uh, my father, actually. Uh, you know, and I, I do owe you a little bit of a debt of gratitude. Uh, I guess indirectly you're uh, responsible for uh, me co- coming to Fangraphs and, you know, doing some work in baseball. Uh, you were my father's favorite Met. My father had two favorite players, uh, Willie Mays, uh, growing up, and, uh, and no you uh, because of the, the power-speed combo and just wow. just absolutely loved you. So, uh, you know, he instilled in me uh, a love of the Mets, and you were the favorite player. So, you know, th- thank you so much well, for that's... that, first of all. Oh, thank no, thank you for the compliment and your and your dad as well because that's probably the first time I've ever been in the same sentence with Willie Mays. Wow, you know that's 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 high company. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, his question is very interesting, and and he's saying that one the reason he loved you is is the power speed. Um, he always said that you know you were the third baseman, and he he loved it when you just played third baseman, and he never liked it when you played short at the end or, or going to the outfield. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just wondering uh, what 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 is your reaction to that? Did you enjoy playing the other positions, or did you really feel that you know third base was yours and you should have stuck there? <clears throat> well, I played I played a lot of shortstop. Um, uh, Early my early years, so I'd had some experience over there, and I and I rather enjoyed it to be honest with you. And so Davey would put me over there in '86 as a way to get an extra bat in the lineup whenever Doc or Sid pitched, seeing how that they were uh, fly ball strikeout type pitchers, so the the risk was low from his standpoint. And I. I loved it. I, I thought I was like a vacation going to shortstop. I liked being in the center of activity. Um, it got a little difficult playing the outfield. That that's 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 where right. things kind of went sideways for me. Right. And I wish I could have mastered that, but I, I physically I just could not. I could not get over the hump to play that kind of center field that Shea requires. It's a big ballpark and big alleys, big gaps. And okay, so going into the alleys at Shea, they were so big. And at that point, I was 30 years old. You know, going to be 31 that year in '91, and it just it just became a uh, a difficult um, uh, transit. Actually, I was th- excuse me, start over. I was 32. I was 31, going on 32 when Jeff Torborg asked me to go to center. And I was kind of up for it. I, I really wanted to go for it and do it. I thought I thought it would be a great way to uh, extend my career uh, going to the outfield. But Shea being so big, um, it just gave me a lot of trouble. And I just didn't trust my instincts enough um, to, to make it work. And 
it was purely my call. I mean, Jeff had asked me during the off season, I'd said, I do whatever, whatever he wants me to do for the team. <clears throat> and I thought that would be our best shot. So I, I gave the okay to do it. And I spent all spring training out there working my butt off, trying to be a, you know, competent center fielder. And I, I, you know, I was just, the results were okay, but I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Um, to the point where, uh, you know, I was good enough to be out there every day. Right. And we do a lot of analytics here over at Fangraphs, and mm-hmm. um, I'm sure you – Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, go, going through baseball in, in the 80s, you know, you, you've had access to some kind of analytics, very different than what it is today. Can you tell us what was available to, to you back then and what you specifically used? Yeah, so our scouting reports, we didn't really have um, – analytics per se uh to the point where it is now the way it's deployed i mean teams just rely on it almost exclusively and that's that's that can be a little dangerous but that's just the way the game is at this point um the only we had stats you know we had our stats for the for the guys that we're facing and what i tried to do is from from a hitter standpoint is i used to look at the pitchers and study them and see what they did their previous outing. And that kind of gave me an idea of, of what they wanted to change going into this outing. So I tried to get a little bit of a heads up from that. So if a guy was struggling with his command, wasn't throwing strikes, um, wasn't getting his breaking ball over, whatever, then I figured his next start, he'd probably try to be doing those things. So maybe if his, if his uh, command wasn't good, he'd, He'd be trying to get ahead a lot more, you know, earlier in the count. The fastball, he's having a hard time striking people out or putting people away. Um, you know, I thought maybe, uh, you know, he would try to try to be more of a nimble guy to try to strike people out. Just little things like that. You just kind of get a sense of the back and forth of a baseball season that the that the adjustments that that players make from um, game to game or series to series. Right. And actually, after your playing career, you did some coaching. How did analytics yeah. change through the course of your coaching? And, and, what, and what, what did you draw from it and teach, be able to teach other players? Well, the biggest, the biggest thing that changed from a, when, I, when I was a player and then going into coaching was video started to really take off. So there was a lot of good starting to get some slow motion video um, where you could see things that – previously we couldn't really see so that was starting to become a little bit more mainstream and at that point it was easier to dissect um, and identify some flaws that you would find in a hitter and the analytics themselves really weren't weren't widely used the way they are now but you know stats were you know use use the analytics to tell stories about yourself like if you were a Good, good or bad hitter left, or you know, one strike or ahead in the count or early in the count. Was it a guy that, or were you a hitter that, that, that was better when he attacked early, or was it a guy that's you know had to see a lot of pitches? Were, were, were you, what kind of a hitter were you um, when um, you know you were in hitters counts, uh, home road splits, all those things before never really thought about. Like I never thought about a home road split 
um, as a player when I was playing. I never thought about it once. But as a coach, you tend to look at all that stuff and try to figure out reasons why X player is doing this. You know, why is he what, why is he trending like that the last two weeks when before he was swinging that really good? Like, what what's changed? Is it is it his habits? Is it is it, is it the fact that we're traveling? Is it because we're we're home and he's getting a lot of extra swings? Uh, th- things like that, you know, start to come into play. And actually, throughout your career, you had two really, really good managers that stood out, and Davey Johnson and Sparky Anderson when you first came up with the Tigers. What did they bring to the game? What did you learn from them that you were able to coach with when you became a coach? Well, I probably learned more from Davey than Sparky. Sparky was um, an older guy that that uh, really liked older players, veteran players. Um, he wasn't as fond of the younger guy as Davey was. You know, Davey was a player, so Davey played. He knows the game. He knows what it's like to be in the locker room and put on the uniform and go out there and have to perform. And uh, <clears throat> I think that helps. It helped it helped Davey to um, relate to the players, and the players related to him. So you knew that if he, if he told you something, it was based on, a lot of the time, his experience um, or his he had a desire to try to find the way to use you or Sparky Sparky was more of a um, kind of an authoritarian type manager, uh, especially with young guys, you know, you're going to do it this way and that was it. And, you know, whenever, I guess you never really knew where you stood with them. You kind of did, but you didn't really know if it was going to last long. Like if you, if he was mad at you or for whatever, you'd know it, but you didn't know how, if it would last and Davey never really got mad at got got mad at us for anything because uh, I think he just understood players a little bit better. The mo- I was I guess I was a modern player at that point because I was only you know 24 years old, 23, 24 years old. So I was I was young. I you know I was more of a National League style player. That's probably why uh, it fits so well with the Mets. Right, right, right. Um, which former teammate were you closest with back then, and who are you closest with now? Well, that's a good one. Um, well, probably now. I mean, I'm probably close. I've probably been really, I'm really close with Bobby Uhida. Um, close with with Straw. I see Straw, you know, periodically. Um, like he was just here. He's left today. Right. Um, we've talked on the phone several times, and you know, it's just been it's been awesome you know, to talk to Straw because he's changing lives now. He's not he's not the same guy he was back then. Bobby O, I love Bobby O. We just, we just got back from a vacation a couple weeks ago out in Montana with our wives fishing. And so, you know, it's it's fun to be able to share some time like that with these guys. Uh, Wally Backman was my, my card partner, so whenever we played cards on the plane and it was a team game, he was my partner. So... He and I seemed to hook up on everything. And, of course, there was Keith Miller that came along later. <clears throat> and he's, he's one of my best buddies, too. Wow. And actually, to try to bring it a little more to the current times, 10 years ago, you actually played a couple, a handful of games with an independent league, the mm-hmm. Rockland Boulders. I actually 
live a couple of blocks from from where they play. What was that about? Were you just trying to see if you still had it at the age of 50? <laughs> no, well, my son was playing for that team. And <clears throat> I was I was out of the baseball at that point. I wasn't coaching. I, I had uh, just got let go from the Mets. And uh, um, I was kind of in a, in a situation where I, I just wanted to, I needed to take a break from baseball. And so I was, uh, wasn't doing much and Glenn was, uh, up playing independent ball with the Rockland team and, uh, their GM called me, thought it'd be a cool idea if I suited up for a couple ball games and, um, and, uh, you know, played, was in the lineup with my son. I thought it was cool as heck. So I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead. I'll, I'll get myself in shape as best I can and go from there and, see what happens, you know, let's, let's, let's do it. So, I mean, I, I wasn't ready. That was the last, those are the last time that I had my knees. I had them replaced like a month later. They were so bad. Wow. I, I had a hard time moving around and I mean, I was in a lot of pain, you know, playing. I wish I, wish I had had them done earlier, but, um, it was a blast. Cause it was, we, my son and I shared, you know, a few days there where it was, we're trying to work out, get on, get, on, get you know, get dad in shape again. And I was just having a hard time, you know, getting my body to, to respond, but they, they, I, they didn't strike me out. I did the best I could. And, um, my first at bat, I hit a fly ball in a deep right field that back in the day, that was, a, that would have been a Hojo Homer for sure, but <laughs> ended up being a little pop, pop fly to, to right field. So that was my last, that was literally my last hurrah. Right. Um, on to our mailbag here. A lot, a lot of uh, questions and comments from uh, our listeners here. Awesome. And, and yeah, and you know, speaking of family, uh, first uh, JDS asked straight away. Um, you know, how is your family doing, and uh, how can people help your uh, grandson Tanner? Maybe you can you know talk a little bit about that and uh, and what what we're, what we're collecting for. Yes. Uh, so as many of you guys know, um, my my grandson, my youngest grandson Tanner, was in a, a horrific accident. Um, about a week and a half ago, uh, where he got, he's backed up over. He, my son was, was on his mower and Tanner had run up behind him and Glenn did not see him. And it was an area of the yard where Glenn was going in reverse and, uh, ran over Tanner's body basically. And his foot, his left foot got, uh, got tore up pretty good in the blades. Um, he lost all five toes and a good portion uh, not a good portion but a another section of his foot so he's he's gonna be okay the doctors uh they sent him home today he's had three surgeries and he's he's recovering i mean as best as you can right now as a, as a almost a two-year-old so it's it's been it's been difficult for the family to go through this because everybody wants to blame themselves, you know, for, for what happened, but it's not, it's seriously, it's nobody's fault. It was a pure accident. So many things had to happen that for that, for this to happen, that there's just, it's just bizarre. And nobody was, was being careless or anything. It wasn't a playing around or nothing. It was just a two-year-old boy seeing his dad on, on the, out in the yard, doing the yard and running, get going outside and running up, to, you know, to the, to the mower not, you know, Glenn did not see him. He was behind him. So it was just one of those t- terrible accidents. And that's, 
we're raising money for the for them because they're not they're not wealthy you know they do good but they're they're okay you know but this is going to take a lot um it's beyond what um you know they're able to do on their own without help so that's why we set up the gofundme page um to try to raise money for the family and for tanner so that uh we can get the treatment and the prosthetics the physical therapy whatever it takes to get this little kid back to being himself and that, and this is all this kid did was play ba- wanted to play baseball he, he's he's almost two he would sit and watch baseball on tv <clears throat> he'd pick up a, a broom handle if the one was around and start swinging it and acting like he's like he's a hitter on he'd see something on television and try to copy it he'd go to uh travel baseball games see pitchers on the mound and he started picking up his leg and like a pitcher and throwing and then he'd get down like a catcher wanting you to throw the ball back to him it was so funny and so so cute you know but this that's all the kid wanted to do is play baseball and he'll do it for hours by himself hit balls off the tee and it's just it's just uh it's sad that that he's going to be impacted by this but um god is good and he's working through his through his people that because they've been very generous and um you know have, have found in their hearts you know to help because i don't think any two-year-old should have to go through something like this yeah no and th- thank you for for posting the uh, all the video updates um i i've tweeted out the gofundme page but We'll also put a, a link to it on uh, the Fangraphs page yeah. to, to this podcast. So, yeah. Yes, yeah. thank you. Um, no, I, I, absolutely. Um, a couple of other questions here. Um, yeah. Paul asks, uh, why are there so few members of the 3030 Club? How do you think you would fare in today's game? I don't know. There's not a lot of members of 3030 because to steal 30 bases, you have to be determined to do so. Um, it's a very difficult uh thing to do um to have that kind of to be big enough to be able to hit 30 homers and then light enough to be able to steal 30 bases and you know catchers know you're running you know pitchers know you're running so there's they're game planning it and it's just it's difficult and you have to really work at it um like you'd like you work on your like on your hitting you know you have to study pitchers you have to work on your jumps. You have to do all those things to be successful. And I, you know, when I was a kid, I used to, I was always ran. I was always a runner. I like to, you know, try to sprint. I'm not a fast guy, but I was powerful. And so my goal was always to be successful every time I tried to steal. And so stealing a base was great. And I didn't want to get thrown out. So I always wanted a high percentage. And if I couldn't get the high percentage, I wasn't going to go. There's a lot of guys that could steal bases, um, but they get thrown out as much as they get that they're safe, and that's 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 not even that's not even right. Don't even go. Just stay on first base. Do yourself a favor. Do do the team a favor. Don't run. Um, if you can't steal it and be successful, 75, 80 percent, don't don't do it. And also the physical toll that it takes on you on your body to run like that uh the attempts you have to make um in in and of itself are are pretty high so there's a lot that goes into it um 
I think I'd fare pretty good at today's game. I was a good fastball hitter. And it seems like pitchers now are <clears throat> gaining more velocity and they're not afraid to show it off. And I'm good good with that. Yeah. I say bring it on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> that's it. Uh, no, uh, definitely. Um, and you're right. Uh, the analytics have shown that, you know, if you're stealing 75, 80%, then it makes sense too. And if not, then you shouldn't be doing it, mm-hmm. which is probably why steals have gone down. Um, I have right. a comment here from Alan. He's remembering, he's a Tigers fan. He's remembering what he says the Dave Bergman home run game in 84. You guys yep. started with 35 and 5, the Tigers, that year. You were down 3 yep. nothing in the bottom of the ninth. And t- tell me if this is right, but you came on as a pinch hitter, came down to two strikes. You had a long foul ball that just missed being a homer. And the very next pitch, you hit a three on homer to tie the game. And later in extra innings, Dave Bergman uh, fouls off about 10 pitches, 13 pitch at bat, yeah. hits a three on homer to win that. You-, you remember that game? I do remember that game. I think it was against the Blue Jays. That was our uh-huh. that was our big rival. That was our big rival, and um, yeah, there was some games against Toronto that were kind of epic uh, matchups. And yeah, I remember I remember some games against those guys where I homered, but the, the Bergman homer was a uh, that's kind of a Tigers and Tigers folklore. You know, it was like a fifteen or sixteen pitch at bat. Yeah, and he finally drilled it. So. And Bergie, Bergie died a few years ago of cancer. Um, great man, good man, good family man. And you know, we that he's. I'm glad that he's remembered for things like that because he was he was a solid person. Yeah, I have an interesting comment here from Michael, and he says that um, in Hebrew, follow this one. In Hebrew, if you take the letters and you add their numerical equivalents, so like in in English. A would be one, and B would be two, and C would be three, et cetera, et cetera. If you do okay. it in Hebrew, Hojo adds up to 20. Come on. <laughs> I'm not Serious? kidding here. That's the oh, my gosh. Here. Wow. <laughs> now, that's a fr- I've never heard that before, and I'm going to have to repeat that one. Yeah, and Hebrew Hojo adds up to twenty. That is uh, absolutely incredible. <laughs> and in I like in nineteen in nineteen ninety one, you actually changed to number forty four. Why did you do? Why did that yes. happen? I changed to forty four for Daryl for Straw. He got traded. Um, I think it was that week. Um, and we were on the West Coast playing, and I told Charlie, our equipment guy, said, "Hey," I said, "Charlie, how hard would it be to switch me to forty four for a little bit?" And he accommodated it, and um, I wore it for about a week. And I think a couple of the guys might have wore it after me. Dave Cohn, I think, wore it. Um, but yeah, we're just doing like a little bit of a, a little bit of a personal tribute for him. And actually, actually now Pete Alonso wears number twenty, and he wore forty-four, and he won the home run derby yep. the other night. So I know about that, right? That's cool. That's very cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What a uh, hitter that guy is. Unbelievable! Two home run uh, derbies. You think he'll come back and win the third one in a row? Well, I tell you what—he's he, making more money winning home run derbies than he is playing the game. Yeah, uh, so far he is. Um, were you ever asked? Were you ever asked to be in the home run derby? Oh yeah, I, I was in two. I was in two All Star games, right? And I was in two home run derbies. And the first one in '89 <clears throat> in Anaheim, they did the, they did a little bit differently back then. It was the AL versus the NL. And so the NL team was me, Kevin Mitchell, uh, might have been Sandberg or somebody, Dawson, I don't remember. 
um, all of them, but uh, right. that was the uh, that's the way we used to do it, and we beat the AL. And then in '91, I was in Toronto, and I was in the Home Run Derby, and that's the year that Ripken hit like a ton. And my BP, I was killing it in BP. Sammy Perlaza was throwing to me. We joked about it after the fact, but he was grooving it, and I was just launching. And I'm thinking, oh man, I, I'm gonna, I got a shot at this thing. But I, I must have worn myself out because I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, get a ball to the ballpark. I must have hit like two or three balls off the wall that, you know, just a little bit underneath that would have been, uh, would have been homers and just never could, could get it back. I just got, I don't know if I got tired or what. My wife was in the um, stands. She had, uh, she was like do any day with our last child, Kayla, my youngest daughter. She was due uh, any day for that. The doctors had to give her permission to fly. And so I think that was part of it, you know, just the stress of that. I just, just didn't feel like I was myself uh, mentally or physically, that that uh, all-star game and that home run derby. But it was a lot of fun. I, I, I love doing those things. I'm just not the biggest guy in the world. So I, I'm not the biggest guy in the world. There's a lot, there's guys that are much bigger than I am. And, you know, I just, I just didn't have enough to compete with, with some of those other guys. But I remember going into the, into the 91 all-star game, uh, leading the leading baseball. Man, I could have been, I, I know I was leading the national league in home runs and RBIs at, the, at that time. I think I had 18 and 63. I think that was the high the high water mark for uh, maybe for both leagues, but definitely the, the national league. Yep, and and you finished ninety one leading uh, the baseball in home runs yes. with thirty eight, and, and yep, RBI one seventeen. One seventeen, I hit number one seventeen was a line drive to right off of Bruce Ruffin uh, in Philadelphia late, and Keith Miller scored, and that was the that was the one that um, that I needed because. Uh, <clears throat> Barry Bonds was right behind me, and Will Clark was right behind me. And neither one of those two guys drove runs in the last day. And I was able to get that last one at the end of the game, and that was it. Yeah. No, yeah. That must have been exciting for you, you know, uh, trying trying to keep uh, pace with Bonds and everybody. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of cool. You know, you look back, you think, oh, man. Because, like, Straw and I were talking today with, with these kids. We we're telling them about, you know, great players that we've seen over our careers. And, you know, Barry Bonds, to me, is probably one of the best players I've ever seen. Uh, a lot of people would agree that he's, he might be the best player that ever played. And, we're, you know, didn't did need steroids. He didn't need that. He was good before. And just to be kind of like, you know, battling out with him for that kind of stuff is cool. You know, Will Clark. Same guy, same type of person, man. Just a really solid baseball player, great swing. Just a lot of, just a lot of, a lot of good memories facing those guys. It was, um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Howard, it's been a real pleasure and honor to to, for ha- to having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. You got it, Ariel. My pleasure, guys. Ruvan, nice, nice to talk to y'all. Okay. Thank you so much. All right, we'll be back uh, next week with another episode of uh, Beat the Shift Podcast presented by Fangraphs. Once again, thank you to Howard Johnson for joining the show. We'll see you next time.
Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.